bum bum bottom 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 bum
Using a different book on relationships to analyze different comic couples is an interesting slant and also provides some good insight into relationships. Brad and Lisa have a great rapport, as they should, and seem to bring energy to the show that not all podcasts are blessed to have. And Staven for Life is one of the co-hosts of the Marvel Mythos podcast. You should definitely check him out. Subscribe, like, send him a really loving review. Yeah. We've done that service for him as well. Thank you so much. He is the first in our reviews to actually mention the love guru and the self-help books. <laughs> so I really appreciate that because that's the, the side of the podcast that I really carry. And sometimes I just feel like I'm doing it for myself. No, no, no. <laughs> I enjoy it too, Lisa. Sure you do. <laughs> so this week, yes, we're reading Sex Criminals. And we're starting with the first volume. But next week we'll be jumping to two volumes a week so that we can knock out the whole series and not have a repeat of the saga situation from earlier this year. Man, summer is over. There's so much homework. So much homework. Uh, Sex Criminals is written by Matt Fraction, a favorite of CBCC, and someone we just covered during last month's series with the famous Sensational Spider-Man Annual Number 1. We did a little rundown on his life story in that episode, so if you're curious, head back a couple of weeks and give that a spin. The artist on this book is Chip Zdarsky, who I'm less familiar with, but I'm slowly becoming a huge fan thanks to his writing work on the current Spider-Man Life Story miniseries. I really wish we could have covered that in our Spider-Man talk. Spider-Man will come back around. He will, he will, he, he will. He will swing back around. Yes. Uh, Chip Zdarsky's real name is actually Steve Murray, and he's a Canadian born in the year of our Lord, 1975. Is that how the whole Year of Our Lord thing works, Lisa? I think every year is technically a Year of Our Lord. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So, Cthulhu, our yeah. Lord Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, our Lord Cthulhu, <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, Zdarsky worked for the Canadian National Post for over a decade until 2014. Uh, he was a humorist and illustrator there, working on a column called Extremely Bad Advice, as well as, a, as, well as the paper's pop culture section called The Ampersand. I love that. As a high schooler, I was obsessed with the ampersand. I wrote a whole story around that. Uh, if I had a paper of some kind, I would call it the ampersand as well. I love that little symbol. Yeah. It uh, reminds me of Penn and Teller, and I love that. Sure, sure, sure. I can see that. Uh, the Chip Zdarsky pseudonym was created in the year 2000, also of our Lord Lisa, mm -hmm. as the name he uses when he works within the comics industry. His first independent comic work were Prison Funnies and Monster Cops. Ma oh. Is it? Oh no, it's Monster Cops. In my notes, Lisa, it's misspelled. But we're gonna we're gonna ignore I, my misspelling. I read it as Mobster Cops. Mobster like, Cops would, would read, also be great. I would read the hell out of that. <laughs> well, anyway, Mobster Cops or Monster Cops that led to gigs with Dark Horse Comics on Fierce and Rumble Royale. Then in 2013, Year he, of Our Lord. He'll Year of Our Lord. 2013, he partnered with Fraction on Sex Criminals, and then Marvel came calling with books like Howard the Duck, Doctor Strange, Invaders, and Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man. I primarily think of him now as a writer, but only because of my love of life story, which we gotta cover someday. I'm saying it again, we've gotta cover life story, it's so good. Never read it. Um, now, based on what little I've read of Sex Criminals at this point, one volume, I have not done any further reading, I think the book will prove to be a little challenging for Lisa and I. We're going to need some serious help, and this month we're getting it from the relationship book Mating for Life. Lisa, how is this going to apply to Susie and John? Well, Brad, right now John and Susie are soups into boning each other and thrusting themselves into cum land. Hey, oh. hey, hey, PG-13. 
It's in the, I'm just quoting. Oh yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, and it's, isn't it Come World? Oh, excuse me. If we're going to be dirty. I didn't, (laughs) it's Come World in Florida, but when they're doing it in California, it's Come Land. (laughs) But what about when they've become exclusive? Will they still be slipping into the quiet when they've been married several years and have little John and Susie Jr. in tow? Mm, 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 mm. Esther Perel is a psychologist and a couples therapist who delves into the questions of how to maintain sexual desire with a partner in the long term. We know how the cliche goes. Once a couple commits to each other, they no longer have enough sex. Sideline? That's not true about me and Brad. Oh, thank I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> we didn't... I actually had a hard time getting into this book because I so so didn't... I, relate to the characters. I didn't relate... Not, not to the characters in... Uh, oh, 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 oh! Sex yeah, criminals. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. I didn't identify with the problem that she's presenting. But at the same time, this is an issue that comes up in pop culture, sure, all of the time. And uh, she makes it sound like it applies to a whole bunch of people. Well, and I think it will apply to Susie and John in some fashion, just based on what briefly we see of their relationship in Volume One. Right. Right. Psychologists, sex therapists, and observers tend to associate the lack of sex issue with increasingly stressful lives or lack of communication. But Dr. Perel submits that the problem has to do with the fundamental need for security and the equally strong need for adventure and excitement. Mm -hmm. So people go into relationships expecting... To be wowed. Uh... They expect their partner to be their rock, but also their changing ocean. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can't and generally that doesn't work. You can't you can't be mysterious and dangerous and also the rock to be my comfort zone. So I like how I get the impression that some people create in their mind what they think a relationship is and separately what they think this sex is and somehow they become mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. and then sex doesn't happen anymore. So I'll cut this out if you want me to, but why did that not really occur between you and I? I think that the way we get in, like we transition into sex, this is too much information. Sorry, Teresa, my sister's probably listening, but we like to be silly and we like to joke around. And I think that that kind of helps us surprise each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, keep things fresh. I think also the fact that, uh, you know, when our lives were more stressful, we did have less sex. Mm-hmm. But now we've created a life where we get more downtime. We're doing creative things together. That And brings... then we get more downtime. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. That's what I think. I don't know. And our intimate relationship is rarely seen in pop culture. And the only film I can think that depicts it is Take This Waltz with Seth Rogen and you Michelle Williams. This to me. But that relationship does not go well. I know that's Spoilers. Sad. <laughs> but uh, when I watched that film, I was like, hey, this is us, until it was way not us. Oh, no, just two silly gooses in bed. Yeah, cheating on each other. Oh, Sam. Uh, okay, okay. Thank you for that derailment. And maybe that'll end up in the show, and maybe that won't. Yeah, you can become super self-conscious. Yeah. Perel, who has over 20 years of experience, claims a multicultural, liberal, and non-gendered approach to couples counseling, which we really appreciate. 
She speaks eight languages and has studied and lived and worked all over the world with all types of couples. She spent a time working in cross-cultural psychology, working with refugees, intercultural couples, interfaith couples, and her current patients at the time of the book, because I got this information from uh, the intro, which was in 2016. Okay. Um, uh, her current patients at that time were straight, gay, married, committed, single, remarried. The only group that she had not tackled at that time yet was transgendered couples, but she, she was was open to it. She, it just hadn't come up. And I'm sure she's worked with some trans couples since then, or where trans people are involved. And all ages, in a wide spectrum of cultures, races, classes. And we know she's legit, because in 2016, she made it onto Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100 list of visionaries and influential leaders. Awesome. She also has an amazing TED Talk. I forgot to put it in my notes, but... Uh, We'll link it on Twitter. Uh, Head to our Twitter uh, feed and you can find it there. Other podcasts might have that in show notes, but we're too lazy for that right now. We're just just getting started, guys. Just Google it, guys. (laughs) We can't just hand feed you everything. In the introduction of Mating in Captivity, Unlocking Erotic Intelligence, Dr. Perel explores how couples find themselves in marriages where they love their partner more than ever, but they no longer desire to have sex with them. With modern marriage, we seek two seemingly contradictory needs from one person. Love comes from closeness, mutuality, equality. All of these things should sound familiar because they all fall under uh, secure and functioning. Mm -hmm. If we go back to thinking about attachment theory. For some, love and desire go hand in hand. But for many others, emotional intimacy inhibits erotic expression. The traditional approach to couples therapy has been intimacy first and the sex will follow. But for Dr. Perel, that hasn't been the case. Sexuality and emotional intimacy are separate languages. And some of the dynamics that lead to conflict in a relationship, power, control, dependency, vulnerability, are exactly what we're looking for in our erotic lives. I mean, that all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I understand that in theory. I've heard of it referred to as the Madonna whore yeah, complex. Yeah, right, sure. Right, where you go, like, ma- like you want to marry, marry mother of Jesus, mm-hmm. but you want to get busy with yeah. Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you can't see the same person both ways. I, I mean, that's the basis of, um, you know, like... Uh, Vulcan in the kitchen, Klingon in the sheets. What's the <laughs> I'm glad you're translating this to your weird nerd language. Man, oh man. Okay, continue. In Mating in Captivity, she promotes the idea of erotic intelligence. That sex is not something that just happens spontaneously or naturally, but something that you have to cultivate and take responsibility for. That sex is a language which we are expressing ourselves and not just a behavior we do mindlessly and then never speak of again. Right, okay. In volume one, Suzanne and John are certainly not dealing with the plight of a sexless long-term marriage. But I think an interesting way to integrate our mating and captivity talk is to keep an ongoing tally of which interactions may fall under the love column of security, permanence, predictability, 
And what might fall under the desire column? Mystery, risk, adventure, insecurity, vulnerability, and so on. All right. I hope you've done that because I did not. I didn't. So oh. it's going to have to happen on the fly. All right. Let's Spontaneously, do it. like sex. Okay. Um, one thing that I do find interesting is that when we were talking about Brene Brown, vulnerability mm-hmm. was this powerful, strong thing to do. But repeatedly, Esther Perel is putting vulnerability under the desire column. And a negative? Uh, not necessarily a negative, but something that you would want to avoid in a love relationship because mm. it makes a person feel insecure somehow mm. okay. to be dealing with another person. I don't know if I... I don't know how I feel about that, but uh, let's see. I... I'm definitely in the Brene Brown column of vulnerability is something you have to be brave to do. Yeah, well, we came out of that series, you know, Brene Brown fanatics, practically. Super jazzed about being vulnerable. But I think that that could also be part of the issue for a couple that's not having sex because they think that vulnerability is something that they have to avoid. Hmm. Maybe that's a key. Okay, well, we'll see. Hmm. Sex Criminals, Volume 1, also known as One Weird Trick, and consisting of the first five issues of the series, published between September of 2013 and February of 2014. This is the basic plot taken from Amazon.com. Okay, Amazon.com, give it to me. Uh, Susie's just a regular gal with an irregular gift. When she has sex, she stops time. One day, she meets John, and it turns out he has the same ability. And sooner or later, they get around to using their gifts to do what we'd all do. (laughs) Rob a couple of banks. A body and brazen sex comedy for comics begins here. I I take one issue with... Mm, One issue? With you, Mm Amazon.com, that she doesn't go into the quiet when she has sex. She goes into the quiet when she orgasms. Well, that's yes, that's that's very specific because right. you can technically have sex and not not have not, an not orgasm. hit the big O. Uh, but yeah, at least not I, that that ever happens with us. No, never, never. Uh, <laughs> that exposition there, that little description, barely explains the first issue of Sex Criminals. There is so much more going on in the rest of this first trade paperback, and we better dive in because it gets a hell of a lot weirder. Ah, but before we do that, I do want to read the dedications in this book. Okay. Because Sex Criminals, it's a, you know, it's not Spider-Man. And these are guys who have worked in mainstream books and now they're doing something very independent, very saucy. Uh, People like Lisa who are prudes would (laughs) uh, immediately reel back from. So I think it's cool to start with their dedication, talking to the people who brought them here. Okay. So here's Matt's dedication, Matt Fractions. To anyone, anywhere, at literally any time in human history who ever rubbed one out, you are the real heroes. Aw, very nice. He's a jokester, but I think he also means it, right? Um, You know, like masturbation, sex, all that stuff is like this dirty secret that we shame people for in this country. But literally everybody participates in. And it is necessary to life. So like that bizarre juxtaposition in this culture has always infuriated me. Yeah. And I like Matt Fraction taking a jab at that. Yeah. Right. Chip Zdarsky's dedication to my darling Jessica, wherever you may be. Ah, you were behind me. What the fuck? 
Are you going to use leave the F word in there? I guess because you're quoting. I'm quoting. Okay. And, um, you know, we're going to we get one, right? We get one F with PG-13. That's the Hollywood system. Okay, but I think it has to be like an... Uh, well, it is an exclamation. It is an exclamation. Very I'm going to keep that one, but we can't use another. I think it's unfair that you got the one F, but whatever. You can have the next F in the next episode. Ooh, stay tuned, you guys. <laughs> so the first issue is entitled Susie Down in the Quiet. Lisa's yes. already spoiled what the quiet is. And... That's where the book opens also. It's John and Susie having sex in a public restroom. Uh, we hear the police are outside. They're saying, Suzanne, Jonathan, this is your very last chance, children. Now at three, we're coming in after you. And then she climaxes, he climaxes, time stops, and they're off to the races. So this one bank job is used as the framing narrative for this whole volume. So we're constantly going to be pop popping forward in time to this particular bank job and then going back and forth through in this particular issue, Susie's background, what Susie's all about. In the next issue, more Structurally, about John. Fraction and Zdarsky are having a lot of fun and they're, they're setting up rules and then they're breaking their own rules throughout this first trade paperback. Which I love, except in one instance. And we're going to talk we'll about to. that. Uh, Elise and I have already discussed that and we came to the same conclusion. Uh, so what happens after that introduction? So we meet these two bank robbers who can stop time through orgasming. We jump back in time. What do we know about Susie, Lisa? Well, we get to hear about her upbringing and her relationship with her parents, which we know through attachment theory is very important to what kind of lover she's going to become. So her dad was randomly murdered along with two other people while he was working at Bancorp. And uh, you see his little body thrown through a glass window in a skyscraper and go tumbling down. That's actually the perpetrator. Is that the perpetrator? Yeah. He's in a cocaine psychosis. Oh, right, right, he right, 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 right. Yeah. Susie's dad, and two then, other people, and then throws himself out of the window because he's lost everything in the stock market crash. Right, 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 right. And then we get to see Susie, like kid Susie, in her classroom, but sitting right behind her is adult Susie explaining the situation that her principal came to her classroom and she knew immediately something was wrong. She was informed that her dad had been, was in the hospital. And then she was pulled from school for two whole weeks because of her dad's in the hospital. Then he dies. There's a funeral. And her mother never really recovered from that random How could act. She? How could she? And so she is crying all of the time. Uh, she becomes, she pulls inside herself, becomes less supportive of Susie. And, and what I think is really interesting is the incident that Susie uses to typify this time in her life was on Halloween. She didn't bother putting on a costume. She would just go... <laughs> door to door and say, I'm the girl whose dad was murdered. And yeah. people would just give her candy. Yeah. And so she... She knew how to weaponize her grief. Yeah. She she milked the situation out in the world as best she could. But when she was at home, it was just a nightmare. How do you feel about the fourth wall breaking? I'm, I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. I'm... 
a huge fan of fourth wall breaking. I feel like Deadpool has taken some of the uh, surprising joy out of it because you're starting to see it pop up more and more in comic books and film because of the success of that particular movie. Uh, but of course, you know, he broke the fourth wall first in the comics and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I've always loved it, you know, whether it's uh, Boston Legal yeah. does it all the time. Yeah always a delight and i think the way it's used here in this first issue with especially in that that first instance where adult susie is sitting over the shoulder of young susie it heightens the sadness of her origin yeah right it really solidifies the pain of the moment in a sweet or a bittersweet way and i think the fourth wall breaking is necessary as opposed to using like a narration because she gives her commentary to the situation, which, which makes you know that this is her interpretation of the events. Right, 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 right. So we're not necessarily seeing it play out exactly how it went down. 100% truth. Right, right, right. Yeah. But then from this sorrow, Susie discovers orgasm for herself by, placing herself under the so she she'll place herself underneath the spout of the bathtub she lays down in the tub and covers her face so that she, she can, can't hear her mom crying yeah, disappear from the world but in that particular position running water is landing on her clitoris uh-huh thank you for saying it you're Which welcome love. i love saying it clitoris <laughs> it's a scientific term not r-rated at all yep and uh that's when the first time she experienced the quiet. So after she orgasms, for some re magical reason, time stops. And literally, like, the water from the spout is frozen. She can walk around the house and no one will see her. So, and she finds it, like, it's how she escapes from yeah. the situation And she in. assumes this is what it's like for everyone. So she goes out on a quest to learn more about the quiet. And she inquires... With her mom, and her mom's disgusted by the question. Right. You know, I've I've failed already. You're doomed. I'm raising a whore. Yeah. Uh, she goes to the schoolyard and asks the dirty girls yeah. what they know. I didn't even know the dirty girls. That's how clean I was. Uh, I knew the dirty boys. Oh, yeah? And they were dirty. Oh, yeah. And I didn't like them. Uh, oh, man. I'm not going to say his last name, but Elijah in the locker room once uh, showed me his testicle. Yeah. And I was like, that's gross, man. Testicles. I was raised by prudes. That's not true. <laughs> That's my parents, not true. He I had a naked, naked family. Parents. I had a naked I have family. clothes. I have a clothes. I was trying family. to be funny. But the Elijah thing is true. He did show me his testicle and I was repulsed. Right. Text testicles are all about context. Yeah, yeah. Testicles are all about context. Okay, okay. Bring it back to the comic, Lisa. Save me. Save me from this hole I've dug. But like there is this this environment where she cannot get answers. Like, even when she goes and asks her doctor, and she has a male gynecologist as a teenager, which that is That gynecologist, by the way, looks a lot like Chip Zdarsky. Is that true? It does. It does. I don't know if he drew himself in there, but it feels like he did. Oh, weird. Yes. Weird, Chip. Yeah. Um, but, like, when he she tries to ask questions of him, like, you know, what happens when you orgasm? He's like, uh, usually you fall asleep with your husband. <laughs> like, so... There's this environment where she can't get answers about her sexual Yeah, welcome life. to America. And then finally, 
she um, loses her virginity to her high school boyfriend, and he freezes. So when she has an orgasm, he freezes, and it's like this tremendously lonely thing for her. And I think that this is one of the most valuable things to come out of sex criminals as an idea. I feel like it really captures how when you're starting to discover your sexuality and you're starting to explore yourself and, you know, how you want to relate to other people in a sexual way, it's an extraordinary lonely feeling because you feel like you can't talk to anybody about it. It's something that you're doing by yourself that you are ashamed of because society is awful. And then when she goes to have sex with people, it's leaving her with that same, like they're not clicking Mm -hmm. and it's leaving her with that same empty and alone feeling, which I like for me, like parallels my life. Yeah, I mean, it's, it does not parallel my life, and I, th- I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, by the time I had sex, I was able to communicate with peers on an adult level because I was so freaking old. <laughs> but I mean, uh, like, when you started getting boners and stuff, mm-hmm. what, did you talk to, were you like, hey, mom? No, 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 no. Hey, no. Denise? You know, for as open as my parents were, at, for being a naked family and, and peeing with the door open and stuff like that, uh, we did not talk about sexuality, and we, my dad, my dad literally did not even bring sex up to me in a personal way until I was moving to California mm-hmm. when I was 27 years old, <laughs> and he started to have a conversation with me about condoms, oh, and yeah. I was like, dad, I've seen a lot of R-rated movies, I, I know what about, I know about condoms, and he's like, good, 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 yeah. and that was it. I was 27, Lisa. I never really got the talk because I, my family's super Catholic, so I was opted out of sex ed at school, but then I remember my mom trying to talk to me about my period, and I would just scream and cry. I refused to listen about it, mm-hmm. and so I, so I really shut that conversation down, and now, my parents you, didn't push the issue. You were uh, taken out of sex ed classes. Yes. I went to all of them. But my education on what sex is really came from pop culture. It came from movies. It came from books. It, actually, a lot of it came from Stephen King and Clive Barker novels. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, not good. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know. Uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. They got all the the uh, the holes right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um why were we talking about that? I can't remember. America. That's it. Oh, Susie's exploring. She's trying. She's lonely. She's had a, an experience similar to yours where it felt very isolating to you. Right. Um, so, but it's still, the quiet is still this place of her escape. But when she comes back, uh, she, everything's normal and her life is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she still wants to explore what's going on and, you know, she's now more isolated than she's ever been. Yes. Then we get Susie and John's meet cute. So Susie is obsessed with the library. When she was in her exploration phase, she spent a lot of time at the library trying to look up answers for herself. And it became this really safe place for her. So as an adult, she works at this library, but it's being foreclosed on by the bank. So she is using her pittance... Uh, to buy all the books from the library 
and her and her roommate, Rochelle... Who is one of the dirty girls. Right. um, Are throwing an event at their apartment to save the library. Mm. And John comes to that. And at that party, she makes a passing reference to Nabrakov's Lolita, Mm -hmm. to a, a guy who's hitting on her. And John from across the room hears that and then goes into a full, you know, monologue from the film, putting on a James Mason accent. And that's how they bond over Lolita. I think that that's really fun and and (laughs) seems right to their character. It does. But I also like that it establishes their rapport as being silly and quippy and they, they tease each other. And I think that that falls under, if we're doing our little tally, I feel like that falls under the love category. Mm-hmm. That they have they have commonalities um, that are mutual. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they do end up sleeping together. Oh, we get a page of others. So we get a list of every other man, woman. It's brutal. Who Susie has been with. Every sexual experience she's encountered. And she has always been left with this lonely feeling of being in the quiet all by herself. And it's a really well done page of Polaroids that Chip Zdarsky has formed there. I love that page, but yes, it is a sad page. And, uh, John gets explicit consent that yes, she wants to have sex and, uh, they do. And then they both end up in the quiet (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, what? You can do this too? And uh, and uh, John's dick is glowing. Yep, yeah, yeah. Right. So we flash forward back to the public restroom, back to the bank job, and that's how that first issue ends. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the Amazon.com synopsis. Right. <laughs> and now going forward, very different book. Yeah. Chapter two, Come World. Yes, so this is where we get John's background. Very different than Susie's. Ah, but before we even get to that, we have to go to the prologue of the issue, and we see that the bank robbery that's in progress, the cops outside are frozen, Mm -hmm. and there are three individuals who are not frozen, who are actually speaking through the bullhorn. They have the same powers as Susie and John, and they are dressed in these like bright ultra white skin tight leather dominatrix like outfits one of them even has uh, a crazy mask with a weird symbol and the the main uh, person who's been speaking to them this woman uh she has like an orange color that's almost alien like mm-hmm. but is she alien we don't know we don't i know don't what's think going so on. i think she's just a lady that's what i think I don't know, because I haven't read any further. I have no idea how to interpret their clothes. So do their clothes look like that to everybody? Do they look like that outside of the quiet? It's it's hard. I mean, suddenly, when you enter this issue, this book is radically different than what you thought it was. You thought it was just about John and Susie pulling off hijinks and crimes using their time-stopping abilities. And now there's this force out there who is policing them. Right. So, okay, there's a world that's being built. And... I was shocked by this uh, event. Same. I kind of feel like the uh, sex police came in too soon. I would have loved to have a little bit more time of just John and Susie doing hijinks. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, After the reveal of the three sex police, 
we go back to John talking to Susie in bed about cum world. Yes. So his first time masturbating and discovering his secret power. So I find it interesting that he had in his mind this negative connotation with masturbation beyond just the like the regular shame. Like he thought that like he wasn't interested in doing it because he didn't understand that it made you feel good. He just thought that sex was something adults did like taxes. This is exactly my experience. Oh, really? I also felt the exact same way as John did uh, pre-masturbation. And the idea that like jerk being a jerk or being a jerk off is like a bad thing. Like, why would you want to jerk off and be a jerk off and be one of those? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, But when he does masturbate and he does release his semen is frozen in time. Yes. (laughs) Along with everything else around him and his penis glows. We can't leave out the fact that what he is masturbating to is woods porn, which is something that is fabled. Is have you ever found woods porn? Lisa, it, yeah, I a thousand percent found woods porn. No way! Yes. I thought it was like a myth. Who in, is leaving porn in, in the Little woods? Rocky Run uh-huh. uh, near the river? I found Playboys. I don't know if I would call them porn. And when I, you know, from that point forward, I then amassed a little mini collection of Playboys. And when I moved out of my parents' All house, from the woods? No, 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 no. Just f- from general purchasing, because I grew oh. up. I turned eighteen. I bought a bunch of Playboys, okay. right? And Late when I Luma. when I moved out of my house, I took a box of Playboys to the same location in Aww. the woods, and I left them there. You're- have I never fairy. told you that? No. Yeah, I totally left Woods Board for somebody to discover. I guess that that's how it's like one person. <laughs> there was like one Johnny Appleseed of Woods Board, and, oh. and then all of a sudden everybody's just carrying on his legacy. But it can't possibly be a thing anymore because now there's the internet. Well, yeah, I think the internet ruined Woods Board for everybody. And now kids are not masturbating to like wholesome playboys. No, they're they're they're, they're finding gar- internet donkey garbage. shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sad for them. <laughs> So now little John knows he has this like secret magic power. So what do you do with it? You use it to go to break into a porno store. The porno store is called Come World. So he would go across the street to the bank, use their public restroom to get himself into Come World. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, because the porno shop ended up becoming his version of The Quiet. So Susie calls it The Quiet. He calls it Come World because of the porno shop of the same name. Exactly. Masturbates in bank, freezes time, goes into Come World, and starts just, like, looking through everything. Of course, the videos don't work because time is stopped. But he it starts out as him, like, like looking at things. But then he just used it to be his, like, little den of chaos. And he would, like... Tip While things time, over. Exactly. And, yeah, and yeah. just vandalize. And be a jerk. Place. Yeah. Yeah. Be a very boy with his powers. Yes. Susie never did any of this stuff. But he discovered the other side of his quiet, of come world. Because while he is busting around the porno shop, he finds a magazine that has the woman from his original woods porn Ms. Jasmine Saint Cocaine. And when he realizes who she is, he becomes aroused and his 
and time starts moving again. And now he's just a kid standing around in his boxers in a porno store, underage child. Yeah. And then there's like a Benny Hill like sequence that Chip Zdarsky illustrates of him being chased around (laughs) and escaping out of the porno shop. Yeah. So the idea is, um, you know, the first time you release, you stop time. And the moment you become aroused again, the moment you you have the ability to release, uh, the time stops. You can't you can't have an erection in the quiet. So, yeah, it's just during that refractory period. Mm-hmm. I love the little bit about Jasmine St. Cocaine, because when you're a child uh, going through puberty, those first um, sexual crushes that mm-hmm. you encounter, you grow an attachment towards them. And so, you know, I, like I didn't have Jasmine St. Cocaine, but I had other actresses. Please list them. Oh, I, I mean, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly. Karen McDougal from Playboy. Okay. She was the 1998 Playmate of the Year. She was probably number one. And oh, by nice. probably, I mean, she was definitely number one. <laughs> uh, and that's all I'm going to bore you with, Lisa. We don't need to get into it. Sure, sure. Uh, Susie also enjoys teasing John about Jasmine St. Cocaine. So she goes on to her Wikipedia page to do a little... R- research and the image oh and she starts talking about like well she's a porn star so she's obviously been molested and then the photo of jasmine on the wikipedia page starts talking back to her yeah so here's like another moment where fraction kind of alters the rules he's already established with the fourth wall breaking in the narrative. And, and it's like, oh, it took me by surprise a little bit. Yeah, like I didn't like it very much. Because to me, it didn't make, like they've created a world where there's like this one magic thing. And that's like, there's a certain type of person who when yeah. they orgasm, they freeze time. But then I was like, well, what, how does this exist? I think this probably happened and we, we'd have to talk to Fraction about it, but it probably happened because he found himself shaming a sex worker, feeling bad about it, and then going, well, I have to address it in this moment, in this context. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that motivation. Because it's a conversation that should be had. Yes. Like, there, you don't have to be molested to be a sex worker. You just have to be a person who's willing to have sex for money. Yes. And more power to you. And then uh, Susie, she starts pretending to be Jasmine. And he, when he was originally describing Jasmine to her, he he said that she looked like Jasmine, but not ruined. <laughs> which is so, such a cruel thing to say. But good thing Wikipedia page Jasmine was not listening then because she would have some stuff to say well, about that. I but think- then he, she's pretending to be Jasmine and they make more love and spend more time in the I quiet. I think what's important about this issue and and even what we see of John in the first issue is there's a little bit of a darkness to his character that Susie doesn't seem to notice until later. And I think a moment like that, a comment like that alludes to the type of guy he is. I did not pick up on the dark side in this one. To me, like his come world seems to be kind of a play- playful place, a rebellious place, definitely. But there are, but like that moment right there, that, that comment he says, you're like, oh, that's a jerkish comment, right? Yeah, but it's no more jerkier than uh, Susie, Suzanne's comment saying that she was but clearly But in molested. retrospect of what we start to learn of John going forward, you see those scenes differently. I get, I suppose. I don't know. I'm way, maybe I'm just more down on John than you are. 
Well, I don't know, because then what we learn about him, definitely he deserves a little bit of Yeah, so let's, let's move on to issue number three then. So issue number three is called My Sexual Errors and Misfortunes, 2001 to Present. So once we check back in with the bank job and how that's going. Not much is happening. That uh, orange-faced lady is in the bank. They're hiding from her in the vault. Right. Uh, John, we then flash back to John and Susie, Dayton, getting to know each other. And he starts telling her about the girl who punched his V-card, Kara, and how it took three sexual encounters for him to come because on the first encounter, she told him that she loved him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that killed it for him. That killed it for, for him. For a kid who's grown up with Jasmine St. Cocaine, yeah. it's hard. And, you know, <laughs> he might be one of those people where se- sex and love are mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. Dr. Perel. Um, but then I think it's interesting that he started having sex with people methodically in order to find another person like him. Yeah, and she did not. Susie just she, presumed that she was the only one. Well, she's a librarian, right? She does research. She she does paperwork. And what, is he a scientist? No, he's definitely not a scientist <laughs> because what happens when they separate, right? They go about their, their daily lives apart from each other. She goes to work. She's bored at work. And he goes to the office. He has to punch one out, rub one out. He goes to the bathroom. Uh, uh, masturbates, stops time, and what does he do to to cure his boredom? Goes into his boss's office and takes a dump in his plant. He's predatory in his expiration. He's aggressive in trying to understand who he is. And uh, Susie, as a librarian, as a researcher, she did all the work. She did the groundwork. She did the research. She asked a bunch of questions and came to the conclusion that she's the only one, where he went... And hunted for others. Do, so do you think he's like looking for a partner in crime, so to speak? I, I, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I could go that far to say that he's looking for a partner in crime, but I. I, I see him trying to find someone who also freezes time when they orgasm separate than him using that time to take a dump in a plant. I, but I think it speaks to his nature. He's a bad dude. That's what I'm saying. I think he's a bad dude for defecating in plants, but I don't think he is a bad dude for having sex with a bunch of people so he can find someone to cl- who clicks with him. Uh, I think, yes, I agree that that type of activity is not exclusive to being a bad dude. I'm just saying, as it applies to John, it's indicative of his personality. It'll be interesting to see how... This develops. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've written him off as a jerk. You have. <laughs> so on one of their dates, John takes Susie to the brick and mortar come world. And uh, they go into one of the creepy booths and they turn on Hart and Fink, starring <laughs> Jasmine, St. James, and... Uh, they do their not John Turturro, right? And then they do their little hijinks to the store, and then later they go to play pool. And she explains to him the library foreclosure. I think what's interesting about their time at Cumworld is that he shows her the pleasures of wrecking the place right. with their abilities, right? 
Which isn't nice. No, it's not nice, Lisa. <laughs> it's what a jerk does. So it's at the pool bar that the Fat Bottom Girls moment happened. So Fat Bottom Girls comes on the radio. The Queen song. Yeah. Susie's wearing a Freddie Mercury jacket. She looks rad. And Susie starts singing along. And that's the moment that John found in his heart that he loved her. Right. But what's weird is that Fraction takes these several pages. What is it? One, two, three, four, four pages of her performance. And the art is really cool, but it's... They couldn't, like, the conceit is they couldn't get the lyrics to Fat Bottom Girls because of copyright, so... They so just like covered up the notes. bubbles. Yeah. yeah, and I, I that was a cutesy too far for me. Uh, to me, it just was like too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe it's a, a four cute, pages. Four cute, pages. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a cute moment in their relationship, though. Sure, sure, sure. And then he suggests to her that they use their powers to steal money from the bank to buy back the library out of foreclosure. Yeah, and he justifies going like, well, we're just taking the bank's money and it's going right back to the bank and the library gets saved, the library that you love. Yeah, this is how 50% of all heist films start. Yeah. Right? Uh, we're, it's a vigilante act. We're robbing from the rich to give to the poor, us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, at, like, she's... Kind of into the idea at first, but then she sees, like, that John, it isn't just about saving the library to him. It's about... The hijinks. No, it's about getting the bank back, because that's where he works, and that's where he takes dumps in the plants, and he hates his job. Right. And the last thing she says to Susie is, what's the worst that could happen? Cut to the bank robbery in progress where the sex police have found John and Susie in their vault. Uh, you know, they're, they're apologizing. They say, Hey, no big deal. And then that's when John gets hit in the face with a glowy dildo. And that's when we get the last two panels in which the leader, uh, who we come to be known as Kegelface, mm-hmm. uh, she says, you two are in my world now and my world hurts. Yeah. Also in this issue, uh, Rachel, the roommate, has been overhearing them talking and just openly looking at bank floor plans. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she has informed the police, but when she called the police station, it was Kegelface who... Who picked up the phone. She's an operator. Uh, yeah, John and Susie really need to do a better job of hiding their plans from their roommate. I know. I mean, I understand that when you have a roommate, you kind of live on top of each other, but like at least hide the blueprint. <laughs> so chapter four of the book is titled Sex Police. And my biggest takeaway from this entire issue is actually not anything to do with the sex police. It's Susie discovering that John has been taking dumps in the plant at his boss's work in his office And John, trying to make nice or trying to explain why he does it, he probes a question of like, well, what have you been doing with your gift your entire life? And we get a page 
where we see... Her literally being the sweetest person ever. Yeah, her idea of hijinks is playing with a tiger at the zoo. Quietly eating a meal. Yeah, like... Reading, studying. And so this is the page, Lisa, where I came away going, these are radically different personalities. Yeah, that is true. And... The future I imagine in volumes two through five of Sex Criminals, and we're going to find out to see if this happens or not, is much darker (laughs) uh, uh, than I initially uh, expected it to be. Right. And we learn a little bit more about John's situation in the next issue. But I do think that John is right, that he does have a complete uh, butthole for a boss. boss yeah, because yeah. His we boss, all have buttholes for bosses, Lisa. He does not get rid of the plant, which no. I think is so funny that the boss, like every day they're finding poop in this plant <laughs> and the janitor, is the that, janitor is the one who has to yeah, deal with yeah. it. And all the boss does is put up those post-its like, you know, those passive aggressive. I yeah, hate like, that. I'm so, so glad I don't work in an office uh, anymore. Yeah. 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 So yeah. awful. You know, John is uh, justified in his anger to a degree, I guess. And Susie did use the quiet one time for yeah. revenge on this guy named Jeff who had date raped Rachel and he did it. She did it to get him expelled. So, so that Rachel could go to school in a safe place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of cracks the door to her being open to this bank job situation. And they are just now practicing on by just going back to come world, wreaking havoc on the place. And um, they do start doing smaller banks in order to lead up to the big bank. And the big bank, it ha- just so happens to be the bank where John works. And also the bank where Susie's dad was murdered. So the rest of the issue is a little more insight into Kegelface of the sex police. We see her working at the 911 call center. And the reason she's called Kegelface (sighs) is that she can literally get herself to orgasm from the power of Kegels, which is magic. Yeah, yeah. That is very impressive. impressive. Uh, and so she's on the hunt for John and Susie, and she's desperate to track them down, and we know that she does because we've been seeing these flashbacks. Yes. And that's the end of issue four. Issue five is titled Going Down. So in this issue, John and Susie go to a diner, and John tries to explain why he has been taking poops in his, <laughs> in his boss's plants. And he explains that he has ADHD and oppositional defiance disorder. Which sounds like the worst thing ever. When I was working at a school, we started integrating children with extraordinary needs. So we got some kids who are on the spectrum. We got some kids with Down syndrome. And we had one child with oppositional defiant disorder. And... There was only one diagnosed, but like once you realize that that's a thing, you can recognize it in certain kids. And it's just so the way I was trained to deal with this particular student with oppositional defiant disorder is to never make her feel that she had no options Mm -hmm. because the I had her in a keyboarding class. Oh, boy. So like in that class, I'm like, 
And, and that disorder can be coupled with lots of other disorders, including ADHD. This particular student had dyslexia, which makes learning how to read music super hard. Um, but, like, I had to avoid going, like, you need to be playing the piano right now because... Mm. She would attack, or she would no, uh, like uh, she didn't get defensive. She wouldn't do it. It was, and she was not particularly like vi- violent or no, no, no. Angry. I didn't mean it like that. I she used just, the wrong word. She just did. She did not respond well to direct directions. Sure. Um, but I referred to these children as seeing the code because they know like the matrix. It like the matrix yeah. because. Why would they behave? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. know that I'm not going to hit them. They know that they will not die from not following directions in music class. So there was just no incentive to them to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And um, the way that oppositional defiant disorder and ADHD are treated is with mood stabilizers. And John talks about how when he was on mood stabilizers, they would flatten out his emotions and he found himself being kind of zombified. So his defecating in the ficus or whatever um, was his way of self-medicating. It, it, it was essentially, aside from that poor janitor and driving <laughs> his boss crazy, it was essentially a victimless crime and it created an environment where he could continue holding his job. Lisa, I've been that janitor. I know. And uh, it's not a victimless crime. <laughs> I know. It's very unsanitary. <laughs> but I can identify with the idea of not wanting to take medications that sure. keep you... And John uh, persuades... Susie after this conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. she, she empathizes with his position and their relationship maintains and goes forward into the heist. Of course, they are now made aware of Kegelface. But it's, it's not John who convinces her to do it. I think that this is important. So she's back at work. She's at her library and she is a researcher. She is researching oppositional defiance disorder just to see, I guess, if he's full of crap. Uh, like a plant. And um, a child comes up to her and asks for help, yeah, library this is help. A great moment. And Susie, we, we haven't talked about this, but the way that she expresses how much she is in love with John is she, got, she keeps, keeps going like, this guy, this effing guy. And um, she kind of has that kind of moment with the library, like, this library, this is the place that I love. So she does it not for John, but she, she does, does it, it out library. of her love of the library. Yeah. Because, and that kid. And that child and yeah. other children, the kids who are like her. So, yes, I lost my train of thought. But that Well, that's why she does it. It's, it, it's right. not for John. It's, it's not for John. It's, it's for, the, for library. the library. And unlike pooping in a plant, it's literally a victimless, victimless crime because they're taking the bank the money from the bank, the money goes directly back to the bank, and now there's a library. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, but Kegelface is made aware. She confronts them in the diner. She uses her power through Kegels to stop time and pulls one over on them to show, hey, this is serious. I know more than you do about this world. The quiet, I own the quiet. 
So behave. Don't do what you're going to do. I love her little Kegel symbol. Yeah, yeah. So good. So good. She wears a little Kegel necklace. Yeah, I want one just like it. (laughs) I bet you they make them. Uh, But of course, Susie and John don't heed her warning and go through with the uh, The bank bank job. job. So while they're on the bank job, the big one, the one that is... Going to get them all the money. Or whatever Mm -hmm. generic bank name they got. And they are captured by the sex police and put in the back of of the van. But that's where they discover that the sex police are not carrying guns, but vibrators in the shapes of guns. Uh So Susie gets one of the vibrators. She uses it on the sex police. They become aroused, and they fall out of the quiet, and that's how they get away. And that's the end of the comic. That's volume one. Um, Yeah, I I had a ton of fun with the book, and I'm really, really curious. Like, I finished the book. I had to fight myself not to continue before we recorded this episode with the series. Because I really want to know what the heck is going on with the sex police. But more importantly, I want to know, how is this relationship between John and Susie going to evolve? Because uh, it can't be good. They have, Matt Fraction has created some really intriguing characters. And I think the way that he made John's darkness, so to speak, an extension of a disorder, very interesting. Because that makes it somewhat out of his control and therefore more sympathetic. Yes, yes, yes. You start to understand exactly why he's been doing this because up until that moment, you know, when he's taking dumps in the plant and when he's asking Susie about how does she use her powers versus how he goes about and knocks over all this stuff in a porno store. Like, I was really starting to separate those two as like, oh, this comic could go way dark. Yeah. You know, he could be a really villainous guy. And that still might be the case, but when you get to that moment and he explains his disorder, I not that I cut him a total slack, but uh, yeah, yeah I, you start to sympathize, uh, or at the very least empathize, where, where he's coming from. Do you get a sense from them that they're in love? Do they, are they starting to build those elements of secure and functioning? No, I don't, I don't see love in the comic. Do you see love in the comic? They're definitely crushing on each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, but like going back to what you were saying about this effing guy, right. And how Matt Fraction uses that phrase throughout the five issues, how it first appears where it is very much a, uh, they're a crushing moment like this effing guy. Mm-hmm. And then at other times it's like this effing guy. And other times it's this effing guy. What you are know, you going to do? There's lots of emotions attached to those, you know, few words. And I think that is a, a really bre- brilliant um, uh, construct that he has done there. Uh, but by the end of it, when we get that this effing guy and it's this effing library moment, she's, she feels very separate from John. But I do see some of the elements of a secure and functioning relationship building. The fact that they're collaborating on a project, collaboration is a huge part of secure and functioning. The fact that there is a mutuality there, like 
John is not going to do this bank job without her. She wants to include him in the saving of the library. They need each other in that element. Mm. That can foster love. Um, I think the idea of the oppositional defiance disorder and the fact that he seems to have a vengeful spirit, that's going to undermine her sense of security. So that's going to be a threat to their relationship. Um, what about sensitivity? Do you feel like there's sensitivity? They they care about each other's feelings? I feel uh, like they do. I feel like just in the conversation that we've been having for this episode, I feel like I am convincing myself that John is... Um, He's definitely going... He is the radical element in this... Well, I'm, relationship. If if somebody's if there's going to be wrongdoing, it's coming from him. Yeah, I, I yeah yeah yeah. I, I I just I I can't help but feel that there is, he is going to cause some real harm in the near future. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm. I really want to get to volume two. But that's not going to stop them from falling in love with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's of, of course that's true. And I don't know. We'll see. And of course, because they share this very special thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the bond the of that, yeah. right? the the bond of the quiet. Like, I can't imagine what it's like to be the only person on the planet and then discover another person like you, right? Yeah. Uh, and that idea has been explored in many kinds of superhero comics and 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 in pop culture uh, in all mediums. But I think um, it does uh, capture what it's like to find someone who's sexually compatible with you mm. where you go mm. okay now this is what it's about this is what is working sure 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 so i i think that it's a great metaphor lisa my question to you is you were a little nervous going into this title you know you were talking about how you were a prude yes and, and still am and you, you still are like did this book make you feel uncomfortable while you were reading it a little bit but i do really like these characters uh-huh and um, I, I'm interested to see where they go. Yeah, I was laughing throughout the entire time I was reading it. I yeah. was having a real good time with this comic. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. It's weird as all get out. I agree that maybe the sex police were introduced a little too early at the end of, or at the beginning of issue two. Um, I feel like, I get the sense that Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky had no idea how long they would have to with get this, this story yeah. out uh-huh. with how uh, salacious it is. Uh-huh. So I feel like they had to do all of their world building right away. And yeah. go like, well, we want to have the sex police. We want to have this element. So let's bring it. Now. I don't think I can fully comment on that until I've read the entire series. Uh, and I'm looking forward to going on that journey with you and our listeners. Yeah. But like if I was making a TV show about sex criminals, I wouldn't have the sex police in the first Right. second episode. Right, right. I might not even have him in the first arc, uh, like the whole season. I might yeah, I was, I was looking forward to just hijinks with John and Susie sure. without this distracting element. Uh, now, to wrap this up, Lisa, is there anything that you saw in this book that related to yourself personally you know, or maybe how you would apply mating for life to our relationship? Well... If I were to give someone, this isn't our relationship, but if I was to give someone else advice about that I maybe got from thinking about sex criminals, it would be to when you are dating and when you're exploring, 
do hold out for someone who clicks with you, not just in love, but also in, in the sex. Because it's because you don't really know it until you've stumbled upon it. Sure. And it, it comes together like, oh, this is actually what it's about. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know if I would if I saw much of myself in. I certainly didn't see much of John in me. I, yeah. I saw some Susie in my personality for sure. Uh, but the, the thing that this book did for me, what sex criminals did for me was just remind me that it's important that in your relationship, that you have open communication in all areas, including intimacy. Right. And it's always good to talk bluntly with your partner about how you're doing on that front. Oh yeah. And you know, <laughs> like are, you know, are you still satisfied? Right. And is there something that I could be doing that could enhance your experience in in, in our intimacy? There's yeah, you don't just talk about it while you're doing it. Like, right. W- like I've mentioned in previous episodes, I like to call it hours in advance <laughs> like a pool player calling a shot. Um <laughs> I also like to talk about it a little bit the next day. Not like give notes or anything, but like, you know, like, hey, last night we had a great time, didn't we? You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that you can weave your sexual relationship all throughout your love life. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be this separate weird thing that you do in secret. For sure. So that brings us to the end of Sex Criminals Volume 1. Next week, it's simple. We are going to jump directly into volumes two and three. So much homework. So much homework. That's issues six through 13 of the series. Uh, Yes, that's more reading than usual, Lisa, but we can do it because I want to get to the end of this series uh, and and not leave any narrative plot threads dangling like we've done with Saga. We'll get back to Saga someday. (laughs) Yes. We will. We will. Of course, there's a lot more saga than there is sex criminals. Is sex criminals over? Yes, it's done. Okay, good. I think. I say that like I know, but I'm pretty sure it's done. Okay. I'm a sex criminals novice, Lisa. You guys Google it. (laughs) We'll tell you on the next episode if it's really, truly done, as Brad suspects. And of course, we will be continuing with Dr. Perel and mating in captivity. I said mating for life earlier. Oh, that wasn't correct. I didn't even catch you. (laughs) Okay, Brad, it is time for us to scrub our dirty minds of all this delicious, sexy content. (laughs) Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Don't forget, you can email the podcast by writing to cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Lisa, our listeners also want to hear from you. Where can they find you? Where can they send all their delicious words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation on Instagram and Twitter at Sidewalk Siren. And you can commit to this podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify. And while you're on the iTunes site, why don't you be like cool, cool Staven for life and leave us a five-star review and some lovely words because it's It just makes us feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport 
open. When Brad actually turns on the microphone, Brad feels great. Brad sounds great. Brad loves being on a microphone because Brad loves the microphone. He loves staring at the microphone. He loves licking it. Uh, he loves teasing it. Mm. We have a good relationship, me and the microphone. You do. How about you, Lisa? How do, how do, what's your relationship with your microphone like? I... I have a very symbiotic relationship with my microphone. When we're together, we feel more confident. When we're together, we feel more, feel more beautiful. We're good. We're smart. We are awesome. We are creative. We are simpatico. Simpatico? Mm -hmm. I think that's a fun stinger. Should we have a stinger this episode? Sure. Should it be the microphone chatter? Yeah, you have some cashew cream on your shirt. All right. It's definitely a stinger then. <laughs>